The following message is entitled, True Teachers, Confronting Quitting, Confronting Error, Part 3. This message was given during the morning service on January 22, 2023 at the Eastside Bible Church in Chicago, Illinois by Pastor John Stevens. For the sake of the recording, we're back into 1 Timothy chapter 1 for a third middle Sunday of the month. The entire 1 Timothy I've entitled The Kind of Church God Wants is the overriding theme of 1 Timothy. And we are currently in the first priority that God has for a local church in ministries. God wants true teachers and pure doctrines in our church and in our churches. That's the first chapter of 1 Timothy, verses 1 to 20. And as we look at this, we are going to continue to see the disturbing situation that evangelicalism and fundamentalism, as it is in existence and operating today, is systematically and has for many decades systematically renounced these priorities of a local church and ministries. And this is why we are facing today the utter need for revival and renewal. Now, we've already seen in your outline review at the top, the church was founded upon Christ and the Apostles, verses 1 and 2, and that's the power source. And we will be starting on the back side of your note sheet, Roman numeral 2. And we will be looking, or actually at the bottom of your note sheet, not on the back. We will be starting Roman numeral 2 at some point after the introduction. But we saw verses 1 and 2, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope, Verse 2, to Timothy, my true child in the faith. And this was the tri-power uh, virtues that we studied extensively. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the engine, the power source of any church or Christian ministry. Grace, mercy, and peace. Now in verse 3, down to verse 20, he begins to itemize, Paul does, the priorities of a local church. And we're focusing in on this first section which you can see at the bottom of your note sheet, Roman numeral 2. True teaching confronts false doctrine in the church and promotes true doctrine. Verses 3 to 7, follow along with me now those verses that we are currently in, and we're in verse 3 today. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. As I urged you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus, so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies which give rise to mere speculation, rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. For some men, straying from these things, have turned aside to fruitless discussion, wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. Paul is doing a back and forth here. He first starts by confronting Timothy on quitting. Verse 3, I am urging you remain. That's a confrontation of quitting in verse 3. Then he confronts the issue of error and heresy in the Ephesian church, which would apply by way of application to all churches in all times. He's to remain in verse 3, and he is to stop strange doctrines, which we will see is another way of saying heresy. And Paul talks about that down through verse 4. Then he swings back to pure doctrine in verse 5. The goal of our instruction. Then in verse 6, he confronts the men in the church who are heretics, straying from these things, turning aside, verse 6, wanting to be teachers when they shouldn't be, verse 7. 
Then, of course, later on, outside of verses 3 to 7, then he goes back in verse 8 to the law and what its purpose is. He's going back and forth. Timothy, we start with you. You need to not quit. Secondly, we need to confront false teaching and get it out. Thirdly, we need to have proper teaching within. That's the course of this text. So in your note sheet, that's the three introductory statements that will frame our return here to these verses. So let's write these down, and then each one will be studied in our text in depth. I'll share all three of these statements that Paul starts out with, and then we'll study each of them in turn in depth over the weeks and months ahead. Introductory statement number one. Before false teaching can be defeated and truth promoted, quitting must be confronted. Quitting must be confronted among true teachers and Christians. Quitting must be confronted among true teachers and Christians. Without the perseverance of true teachers, the church cannot remain holy and true to God's word. Without the perseverance of true teachers, the church cannot remain holy and true to God's word. Why? Well, it's very simple. When true teachers become cowardly, cowardly or true Christians leave and don't want to be in any conflict and they exit, there is a great opportunity for Satan to move in and replace. And that's been the history of the forearms of Christianity over the last 2,000 years and especially in the last days. In churches, missions, Bible schools, and Christian media, godly Christian leaders leave Heretical forces move in. This is extremely dangerous. So we'll look, we'll look at that in a moment. Introductory statement number two. Once, uh, excuse me, number two. For truth to prevail, false teaching must be exposed and removed. True truth to prevail, false teaching must be exposed and removed. From every single Bible-believing ministry. For truth to prevail, false teaching must be exposed and removed from every single Bible-believing ministry. And I've given you the four arms of the current state of the church, churches, missions, Bible schools, and media. The fourth one is just in contemporary times. Churches, missions, and Bible schools have been around for most of the 2,000 years of Christianity. But now we have to include media, which should include music and um, internet, Christian organizations, and so forth. You can't have truth prevailing while error is in place. It just doesn't work. And this is something evangelicalism and Bible-believing Christianity doesn't understand. It doesn't work that way. It's like growing without ever repenting. How do you do that? How do you grow spiritually if you don't repent? Isn't the first word, as I showed you last Sunday, the gospel, repentance? You first get the sin out, then you put on. That's certainly what Ephesians 4 says. Turn over there very quickly. Ephesians 4, you know this. This is simply a, a reminder
Ephesians 4 verse 20, Paul says to the Ephesian church, which is struggling greatly with false teachers in its midst, and in verse 20, Ephesians 4.20, you did not learn Christ in this way. We're supposed to learn about Christ. Taught in verse 21, indeed you have heard and have been taught. So teaching is the key to any church. And we're to teach truth. Truth is in Jesus. Now what happens? First thing, in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self. That's renounce. Lay aside is renounce in the Greek. You can't grow spiritually if we're not renouncing. The old self is a sin nature, which is constantly corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. Your sin nature as a believer, and he's talking to believers, is always marked by two things. Your sin nature is pushing you constantly towards lust and lying. Deceit is lying. Believing errors about yourself, about God, about others. We have to continuously lay aside that sin nature. And then you get renewed in the spirit and the mind in verse 23 and put on the new self, which comes through the word of God. This is the pattern. So go back to 1 Timothy 1. This is exactly what Paul is doing, and this is what every church is supposed to do. And in this context, it's not personal sin he's referring to in verse 3. It is a stopping of error. You can't mix error with truth and survive. You can't. Please write that down under introductory statement number two. There has to be a separation from error in our churches and ministries for truth to flourish. And frankly, most are not willing to fight for truth by exposing error and renouncing it. This is just something that's been abandoned completely. The church was never good, very good at this to begin with in 2,000 years, but it's an abominable condition today. In those four arms of ministry, churches, missions, Bible schools, and media organizations, all sorts of errors allowed to flourish. And a lot of it has to do with just massive Bible ignorance among Christians and among leaders. I was reading in a book yesterday, it's an excellent book, it's on Christian literacy, and literacy means that you know the Bible, you're, you're literate, you're, you're knowledgeable of the word and you're appropriating it. And he was saying that a recent survey showed that 81% of born-again Christians think that this is a verse in the Bible, God helps those who help themselves. That's astounding, the ignorance that's in the church today. That verse is not in the Bible. So with that type of ignorance, you're going to see that there's an inability of Christians to be able to divest the church of false leaders and false teaching. He confronts the teaching in verse 3, and then he confronts these men who are doing it in verse 6. They have to be gotten out. You can't leave heretics in place. Timothy, unfortunately, it seems in verse 3, would rather quit the pastorate than to go to war against these false teachers in the Ephesian church. And we'll see that that's true in verse 3 in a moment. This is the way it is today. So it's not just something new. It's just the, the issue today isn't that it's new that Christian leadership doesn't want to confront error. What's new is the systemic nature of it, that it's everywhere. But Timothy certainly didn't have a stomach for fighting against heresy. Paul has to ask, apostolically order him in verse 3 to do this. People just don't have the stomach for fighting against heresy and error, either in their own lives or in the church. It's not worth the trouble. And unfortunately, what usually drives this unwillingness to confront error is money and positions. False leaders and teachers don't want to go to war and lose their positions in churches, in Bible colleges, and in missions. 
And so there's usually a money tag attached to this type of behavior. It just would cost me too much, especially financially, to take a stand. So money becomes the snare. I've been quoting the last few Sundays from Francis Schaeffer's book from 1984, The Great Evangelical Disaster. Let's return to him again. This is a quote out of the complete works of Schaeffer that I'm reading in my library. Quote, Schaeffer said, When the scriptures are being destroyed by theological infiltration and compromise, and equally by cultural infiltration and compromise, will we have the courage as Bible-believing Christians to mark the dividing line between truth and error and renounce error? Well, the answer to that is no. The experience of the church today is even worse than when he was alive in 84. He continues, will we have the courage to draw a line and to do it publicly between those who take a full view of Scripture and those who've been infiltrated theologically and culturally? If we do not have the courage, we will cut the ground out from under the feet of our children. And we will destroy any hope of being redeeming salt and light in a dying culture. That's already happened. The problem that I've had with our kids and which we all face is where do they go to church? We're losing churches left and right. It's very rare to find a good Bible-believing church anymore. The feet of our children have already been cut out from underneath us. He goes on, quote, We cannot wait for others to draw the line. We must draw the line. It is not easy, and for many it may be costly. See, that's the problem. It costs. It certainly is not popular, but if we truly believe in the infinite personal God, the God of holiness and love, if we truly love the Lord and his word in the church, we have no other choice. We've been blindsided by cowardice individuals in the church who would rather quit like Timothy than to confront Ephesian error. In the face of a Bible and scriptures that tell us repeatedly that we need to stop this type of stuff going on in our ministries. Quick jet tour, Romans 16. This isn't just Paul to 1 Timothy. This is throughout the New Testament. False teaching has to be stopped at all costs. And we're just not willing to do it. Romans 16, verse 17. He's begging again. Same word as with Timothy. And we'll study that word in a moment with Timothy. Verse 17, I beg you, I urge you, brethren, talking to believers, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned. So this is any type of teaching which hinders the Christian life, hinders the gospel, hinders unity in the faith. Turn away, total rejection from them, that's separation. To bend away, eklino, to turn away. It's actually one of the words for apostasy. This is positive righteous apostasy to renounce such teaching and then of course just like Paul does in 1 Timothy 1 first he confronts the teaching in 1 Timothy 1 3 then Paul confronts the individuals themselves and their character in 1 Timothy 1 7 he confronts character in verse 18 they're slaves of their own appetites appetites is not referring to food it's generic for uh, fleshliness. They love sin. And then they lie with their mouths. They're flattering speech. And their goal is to deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. They worshiped their sin nature. They love to do evil. 2 Corinthians 6, turn there. Jet tour quickly. Just showing you that this separation thing, this is our second introductory statement. First, stop the quitting. Secondly, get the rottenness out of the church. 
church today can't be bothered with doing any of this, really. 2 Corinthians 6, this is a, a supreme passage on the fact that you have to get the corruption out. And it starts with us personally. You don't partake of truth here at church and then go and listen to error outside of church. That's not right to do. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 6. Notice that purity and knowledge go hand in hand. In verse 6, in purity in knowledge. This is what slaves do. Notice in verse 4 that the godly Christians are to endure in much endurance. Verse 4. We have to endure, not quit. And then we promote purity in knowledge. Verse 6. Notice verse 7. In the word of truth and the power of God. That's the only way truth works is through the power of God. By the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left. So this is what Paul is confronting the corrupt uh, church. And then he goes on. Verse 14. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. This is in the church. For what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? What harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what is a believer in common with an unbeliever? We don't fellowship with them. We don't partnership with them. We separate from them. We're not to be bound together in union with them in any way within the church. You don't allow unbelievers in positions of service. You don't allow heretics into the pulpit and into the pews. It gives five different uh, type of relational uh, things here that need to be avoided. Do not be bound together. No partnership, no fellowship, no harmony. Nothing in common, verse 15. No agreement, verse 16. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? And then he goes down in verse 17. Therefore, come out from their midst. This is a command. Separate and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean. Mark off with boundaries. Get away from people who teach falsely. This is plain. How can this not be understood? Of course it's understood in the church today. Believers just and leaders don't want to do this. It's not something they want to do. Back to 1 Timothy. But go to the last chapter of 1 Timothy. Chapter 6. He begins with separation in chapter 1 that we're looking at. And then he finishes it at the end in chapter 6. He has to remind Timothy again who wants to quit. At the very end of this epistle, he goes back to the very thing he's dealing with Timothy at the beginning with. He comes full circle in 1 Timothy 6. Verse 20, O Timothy, guard, fulasso, to watch, protect what has been entrusted to you. What's that? The word of God. Talks about instruction in verse 17. It's got to be guarded with our lives. And then notice, avoiding separation. One of the terms for separation, verse 20. Worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge. It opposes the word of God. This is heresy which some have professed in the church and have apostatized, gone astray from the faith. Heretics are unbelievers. They can't be saved. Heretics are apostates. They can't be saved. We know that from 1 Peter chapter 2. Go to 2 John. I'm just cherry-picking here just a few of over 20 passages in the New Testament that speak to this mandate to keep the church clean. Ladies, you wash your face first before you put the makeup on, right? All right. You repent before you put on truth. 2 John. 2 John, verse 10. 2 John 10. If anyone comes to you, notice, comes to you into the church and does not bring this teaching. What teaching? 
His commandments. Verse 6. The commandments of God. The word of God. Verse 10. Do not receive him into your house. The church was meeting in houses at that time. And do not greet him. Give him a greeting. Separate. You don't fellowship with heretics. You don't fellowship and become friends with heretics and apostates. Verse 11. For the one who gives him a greeting, look at it. Fellowships, koinonia, participates is the word koinonia, root form of it, in his evil deeds. When you hang around people that are evil, it makes you evil. Separation. Back to 1 Timothy chapter 1. So this is plain. This is obvious. Why is it so messed up today? I don't want to do it. We can sin against God because we didn't know we should do it. We can sin against God as 1 Thessalonians gives us the five ways, the three ways we sin. I didn't know I should obey. Then we can sin again against God a second way. I can't. I don't have the power to obey. That's a lie. And then a third way we sin, according to 1 Thessalonians 5, is willfully. So, I didn't know, I can't, and then thirdly, I won't. And this is the state of the church today, won't. Introductory statement number three in your note sheet. Once leaders commit to enduring suffering for truth, once leaders commit to enduring suffering for truth, and proactively attack false teaching in their ministry contexts, then and only then can they biblically, then and only then can biblically accurate truth be promoted. Once leaders commit to enduring suffering for truth and proactively attack false teaching in their ministry contexts, then and only then can biblically accurate truth be promoted. Dr. Ockengay and others who were called New Evangelicals in the 40s renounced this principle, number three. They said, basically, evangelicalism must stay together with apostates and heretics in our schools and in our churches. And through fellowship and intertwining with them, we who are righteous will convert the heretics. Completely the opposite of what the Bible says. Okay? They were called the New Evangelicals. And they renounced the fundamentalists. You separate from all these heretics. We're going to stay in with them. Seventy years later, evangelicalism. How do you even define it? We've allowed everyone into the house. As I've told you, you can have a, you can have a Joel Olstein who considers himself an evangelical. You can have a John MacArthur in, it, in that same group who considers himself an evangelical. You can have, as I've mentioned repeatedly the last two Sundays, a president of the Southern Baptist Convention who claims to be God incarnate himself who claims to be an evangelical, they're all in the same mix. So how do you even define an evangelical anymore? Can't. So did intertwining, as evangelicals claimed to be starting to do in the 40s and 50s, and now up to today, intertwining and fellowshipping in your churches, your denominations, your Bible schools, your missions, has this cleaned the house of heresy? Or has heresy kicked out the clean ones. Your fellowship with evil. What, the Bible is very plain. Bad company corrupts what? If you watch trash on TV, what will it do to you? Make you righteous? No. You hang around evil people, will they make you righteous? No. No, they won't. 
So aren't we to win the lost? Of course we are. But you don't go to the bar with them and get drunk with them. You don't hang around their evil. You hang around the lost, as Christ did, by finding righteous contexts in which to minister to them. So you don't say, okay, we're going to go party and do horrible things together so I can win them for Jesus. You don't fellowship with evil. That's basic. You saw Romans 16. You saw 2 Corinthians 6. You saw 2 John, verse 10, didn't you? Separate. You don't separate from evil. What happens to you? This is basic. You hang around people all day who are evil and do their evil with them, you will become evil. You listen on the radio to heresy, you will become a heretic. You go to a church that allows false teaching in any context of the church, you'll become a false teacher and a Christian who's shipwrecked. This is basic. Isn't that what it's saying in verse 3? Instruct certain men not to teach. Stop them. Not intertwine with them. Let it go. I had somebody who was a relative many years ago say, well, light repels darkness, so light hangs around darkness, and then the darkness goes away, so we should just hang around heretics. That's a nice logical statement, but it's not scriptural. Logic can be heretical. You do know that, right? Just because something sounds logical doesn't make it right. That works in various contexts. Certainly the light pierced the darkness when Christ came to the earth. Christ came in in absolute perfection and the light came in in John 1 as we're learning in our communion series and pierced into the darkness. How else could light get into this planet but it pierces forcibly through the person of Jesus Christ? But his church is not to allow the darkness to pierce the light. It doesn't work that way. How can we spread light out there for allowing darkness in here? If personally and corporately we're allowing false teachers and wicked evil people to prevail, how do we have the power and the righteousness to go out there and tell them in their darkness that they need to turn to Christ? The only way the church can pierce light into the darkness is if it keeps its own house clean and walking in light here. Proverbs talks about this. This is basic wisdom. Look at Proverbs 4 under introductory statement number 3 that you've already written down. Did anyone need introductory statement number 3 repeated? You missed any blanks. Okay, Proverbs chapter 4. Wisdom literature. This is one of the most astounding and accurate passages that points out this basic principle. You have to separate from evil teaching and wicked fellowship with evil people in order that you stay righteous. Proverbs 4. Look at verse 13. Take hold of instruction. Do not let go. What is the proverbially most important thing you're to hang on to in verse 13? Instruction. In verse 13, don't let Bible instruction go. Guard her for she is your life. This is righteous instruction. Somebody said wisdom. Yes, it includes wisdom in verse 5. Understanding in verse 5. Do not forget or turn away from the words of my mouth, verse 5. So wisdom and understanding and Bible instruction all go hand in hand. Now, when you take hold of instruction, do you then fellowship with evil people in the 
church or in Israel. Look at verse 14. Do not enter the path of the wicked. That means be like them. And do not proceed in the way of evil men. Now look at separation. Verse 15. Avoid it. Do not pass by it. Turn away from it. Pass on. Four terms used to separate. You don't fellowship with evil. You first hunger for Bible truth in verse 13 as you're renouncing the wicked ways of the false teachers in verses 14 and 15. Hungering for truth, instruction, empowers separation from wickedness. A desire to separate from wickedness drives us to want truth. You can't mix these two together. Go down to verse 20. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. That's obey, give attention, and that's understand, incline. It's knowing and understanding. I've taught you, and you should know, there's four steps of Bible intake that every Christian needs to partake of. Number one is Bible reading. Number two is Bible study. Number three is understanding. Number four is application. Understanding and application are in verse 20. Give attention is application, obedience. And incline in the Hebrew is understanding. Verse 21, do not let them depart from your sight. Constantly be in Bible teaching. Keep them in the midst of your mind. Heart is mind. Meditating. Thinking on. This is an astounding passage. Verse 22, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their body. You understand what a wreck Christians are. They partake of the worst abominations in entertainment. They uh, love evil in our society. They make fellowship with evil people, doing evil with them, thinking that they'll win them to Christ. They go to churches, support ministries, missions, schools, media. They listen to music they think is Christian and it's heretical. And they just pound themselves with air continuously and then land in a little know-nothing church like this potentially across our land, churches like ours, and hear teaching like this and it has no impact on them. They've been corrupted by evil. There has to be separation. Verse 23. Watch over your mind with all diligence. Mishmar. Diligence. Guarding. Confining to jail. You need to jail your mind. Jail your mind with truth. For from it flow the springs of life. The words of lies do not reflect the heart, folks. Verse 24, again, separation. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put deceivious speech from from you, far from you. Verse 26, watch the path of your feet. Verse 27, do not turn to the right or to the left. Turn your foot from evil. Then he goes right back to it again, pounding the issue in chapter 5, verse 1. My son, give attention to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may observe discretion and your lips may reserve what? Knowledge. Separation from evil. Hunger. Pounding ourselves with truth. Every aspect of your Christian environment must be analyzing churches, missions, Analyzing Bible schools, seminaries, and media, Christian media, music. Everything has to be analyzed, separate, separate, pound it, pound it, protect your mind. Christians are too lazy, they can't be bothered. They're ignorant, they're bored with the Bible. 
They are addicted to feelings. I feel good listening to this music. It, thus, it must be good and so forth. This is extremely dangerous. Back to 1 Timothy 1. Number two in your note sheet. These three steps are the order of our text then. Paul first confronts quitting. Then secondly, admonishes Timothy to get rid of false teaching. And thirdly, Paul demands Timothy to promote apostolic teaching. Paul first confronts quitting, then secondly admonishes Timothy to get rid of false teaching, then thirdly, Paul demands Timothy to promote apostolic teaching. No favorites, Timothy. No favorites. Don't play any favorites. No favorites are to be played in any church or ministry. It's to be done to everyone. Remember when Peter told Jesus, may it never be that you would die? What did Christ whirl around and say to Peter? Get behind me what? A separation. Christ didn't make any play any favorites. Well, Peter, that's okay. Even his close associate Peter was severely rebuked. No favorites played. None. In any context of ministry. This is to be done. Introductory statement number three? Or are you in point number two? These three steps are the order of our text then. Paul first confronts quitting. Then secondly admonishes Timothy to get rid of false teaching. And thirdly, Paul demands Timothy to promote apostolic teaching. These are chain links. Chain links. Any failure or break in these three chain links spells doom and disaster on any church or ministry claiming to be Bible-believing. Ever looked at a chain link? What is the key to the strength of a chain link? Not the steel. The soldering connection of the chain link. Okay? 129th over here along the... Bishop Ford is a massive facility that we deliver to. It's called a MESCO. We deliver industrial parts to industrial areas, AutoZone and O'Reilly's. They don't do that. We're unique in that way. So you have to take that remote access road, get on 129th Street and turn in. What you see in there is huge docks, massive ships pull in, and huge crifts, uh, cranes one to 200 feet high, massive industrial facility are pulling those huge coils. Steel coils you see in the back of semis, lifting them. They're like five to ten thousand pounds each, lifting them with an angled chain. Only as good as the soldering. And they bring them over. And I've one time I was waiting for a guy to sign my my statement, so I stood there and I watched as one of them was lowered onto one of those. The semis are lined up all the way on this road, waiting to get these coils of steel. And uh, the guy's way up there, this high in the crane, and he's watching. He's got his eye very carefully on the guy directing him down like this. And he's directing him down, and very slowly, inch by inch, and it starts to touch the back of that flatbed, and the whole flatbed sinks under that weight. And then the truck driver gets up, and he throws chains over it, 
and he starts to crank them tight. Then he's checking and staring at them. Soldering to these chains are these three principles, folks. You break any one of these three, the no-quit rule, to get the teaching out that's false and put the righteous teaching in. You, you mess with any of those three and it's over. And that's already happened in most churches, Bible schools, missions, and media organizations. The chain link of preservation of truth has been irreparably broken in one or more of those three areas. And what's it driven by? Boredom. Boredom with and ignorance of the Bible. Those are the two keys. Absolute keys to the destruction of accurate teaching is boredom and ignorance. Boredom and ignorance. Howard Hendricks was asked years ago when he was alive in Dallas Seminary, he was asked, why is it Christians just don't know the Bible? Sitting for decades in churches, they're bored with it. A million Bibles are sold a year. Everyone's got a Bible. It's on my mantle. That's good enough. He said, this is what Christians say. It's on my mantle. It's on my shelf. If I need it, I'll yank it off. If I need it. If there's an emergency, I'll call 911. The Bible's a 911, he said. And so there's a sense that it's not important, and I'm bored with it. And he said, one of the killers is lack of faith in the Bible because there's so many translations. He said, there's so many contradictory translations, Howard Hedrick said. Contradict each other. As the Christians start to think, well, there's, you really don't know what the Bible says, so what's the point? We've destroyed, for the sake of economics, Christian publishing comes out with all these, hey, what's happening now translations, and they don't even read like the translation I have, so this must mean everything's up for grabs. It's all driven by money. I've got to change the words to make money. Dozens and dozens and dozens of translations, he says. So it's considered a 911 book. We don't trust the Bible, number two, Howard Hendricks says, because of all the translations. Number three, we're bored with it. We want something different. And number four, we're ignorant. We're ignorant, and we think that we know something when we don't. I've told you before the three levels of stupidity, right? Level number one, which is the best, is I'm stupid and I know it. Rarely run into anyone in America who says that. I'm ignorant and I know it. Level number two is, I'm stupid and I don't know it. That's most people we run into. That's where Christians many times are in churches. They actually think they know the Bible when they don't. They're stupid and they don't know it. And number three, the worst of all, is just rampant in our culture today. One is stupid and thinks one is a genius. Completely the opposite. We have heretics in our pulpits who are biblically ignorant and they think that they're geniuses and they don't know their left hand from their right scripturally. Paul confronts this. Boredom, ignorance, thinking that I'm a genius when I'm not, having no ability to study the Bible, no desire to study the Bible. It's a 911 book, only needed in case of emergencies. So, Roman numeral two at the bottom of your note sheet then. True teaching controls false doctrine and promotes true doctrine, but it starts with letter A. Three vital keys to not quitting the promotion of true doctrine. Three absolute keys that must be obeyed from Paul to keep any Bible-believing Christian or leader from quitting. If you don't do these three keys, you and I will be quitters. Three vital keys to not quitting the promotion of truth that Paul gives to Timothy. Number one that we'll see next time, key number one is the command urge. Number two is the command remain. And number three 
is the command, instruct. Those three are absolutely key. Urge, remain, instruct. Urge, remain, instruct. If you want to be a Christian who endures in the face of apostasy in a Bible-believing church, you must obey those three principles, three keys. Urge, remain, instruct. All three. Or you and I are going to go down. And when we go down, 2 Timothy 4 says in the last days, false teachers will pile up in our place and in our churches. So we'll begin to confront your first introductory statement. We just reviewed all three that cover verses 3 to 7, those introductory statements. And as I said in your note sheet, go back to introductory statement number one. We'll look at them in depth. Now we'll start with the first introductory statement, confronting the issue of quitting. We need soldiers for Christ who stand firm. And here's how you do it. Paul tells Timothy how to do it. Urge, remain, instruct. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your precious word. Oh God, empower us. We've now had understanding, empower us now to obey and to separate from evil and not fellowship with it in our world or in the church. May we be highly discriminatory, dear Lord. May we never listen to any teaching in the media, on radio, or anywhere else without first doctrinally checking out that ministry. Never. May we be discerning because we are deeply imbibing in the word. If the gospel is taught falsely, we separate. If the teaching for sanctification is heretical, we separate on an individual level as well as on a corporate. Give us the courage to do this or we will fall. And when we fall, we will not have any assurance in these last days that we are truly saved. Help us, Lord, to stand firm. We're going to do this standing alone like Jeremiah. And we're going to find very little results because of our standing firm. People will hate us and they will separate from us. Help us to stand firm in truth. The Bible repeatedly tells us, Peter repeatedly tells us to stand firm in truth. Stand firm in grace because we're so tempted. The verb at the end of 1 Peter 5, dear Lord, your word tells us to stand firm through Peter. And that verb, as I said last Sunday night, it implies that we're ready to capitulate, to back up, to give, to give up. We need your power of our precious Holy Spirit who resides within us through the truth of the word to enable us with endurance to not quit on serving you and promoting truth and separating from evil. In Jesus' name, amen.